So we, uh, we're such a fertile group of individuals that we're having to figure out how to deal with the small <laughs> childcare space that we have. Um, so, you know, until things change in terms of the structure, if that does ever happen, um, I have a feeling we're just going to continue to propagate at such an outlandish rate that um, we're going to be outgrowing this place in no time. Um, sweet. So my name's Evan. Um, if I haven't met you, I'm stoked that you're here. Um, if you're new here, one thing that I think you need to know is that we are really into the Bible. That's a central facet of what we do down here. Um, and more so than just the Bible, it's the God that the Bible describes. And because of that, uh, we want to give you a lot of opportunities to come to know what the Bible is all about. In February, we're going to offer a class um, down here on Thursdays for four weeks at 6 o'clock um, for an hour or so. And it's going to be a Bible overview, specifically the Old Testament. Um, if you've never read through the Bible, it's an awesome way to kind of get an understanding of those stories you heard growing up and how they fit in the overall scheme. Um, if you've read through the entire Bible um, and you're really into it now, it's a great way to kind of have a big picture view of what you're learning now and how it fits in and more so the God that you understand and you're getting to know how we see him portrayed throughout all of human history. Um, the title for the overview is God's Redemptive Plan for Humanity. So it's not just going to be an A plus B plus C kind of storytelling, but rather what is God doing from the fall at the garden all the way up until Christ that's bringing about the redemption of humanity. Um, so again, Thursdays at 6 o'clock. Um, child care will be provided as well. Um, before we get into the sermon tonight, um, I wanted to give Corey a chance to come up and share a little bit. He and Tammy and a group of other individuals have been walking through the Bible. Um, they did the New Testament last year, and now they're doing the Old Testament in kind of an intensive way. And I just wanted him to uh, kind of share what's the last year and a half of just studying the Bible has kind of meant or done to his life. Uh, it's been fun. It's been exciting. Um, really enjoyed being with uh, the other couples. There's five couples that have been doing it. And a uh, funny little story to start was Tammy and I were walking up at Remrock by one of the classrooms, and uh, she mentioned, you know, we should get into a Bible study. So, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Well, that week, it just so happened that Brian Price gave me a call and said, hey, you want to get us to join Bible study? We're starting funny how God works, and it's been a, an awesome time with uh, the other couples, and I've read through the Bible, and, and I read daily on my own, but it wasn't until we started studying as a, as a group and as couples that we really started digging into it, and it started really taking root in my heart, and I think Tammy's too, and it's just a, it's an awesome way to delve into it, and it's a, uh, once you shift, you spread that, you share it with somebody else, it's a, uh, you get their perspective, and, and you're able to dig into it and get the, the truth and what the meaning is. So that's what's on my heart. Cool. Thanks, Corey. That's great. All right, so this month we've kind of taken on a whole different topic than normal. Normally we look at the Bible and see what it says. Um, this month, month of January, we're kind of zooming out and saying, all right, why do we trust the Bible? It's a good question to ask, right? Why do we as Christians base our entire life around a book that very few of us ever take the time to figure out if it's actually what it says it is? And so we, um, the first week we looked at kind of what's called historicity or kind of the study of ancient texts to see how it's supported the validity of the Bible. Uh, last week Drew looked at um, how science and the Bible are actually quite compatible. 
Um, and this week, I want to look at the impact of the Bible. Um, more or less, the question I want to kind of propose and hopefully get to an answer on is, if the Bible is what it claims to be, the Word of God, the Creator speaking to the humanity, then adhering to its worldviews should lead to a good, even revolutionary benefit in the world. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a decent question to ask, isn't it? If the Bible is what it says it is, there should be amazing effects, like a ripple effect throughout people's lives and throughout cultures. Um, if that doesn't take place, then it's a pretty obvious indication that it doesn't have the power that it claims to have. Um, real quickly, I want to define what a worldview is. Um, a worldview is a philosophy of life or a conception of the world. Every single one of us has a worldview or several dozen worldviews. It's like lenses that we see life through. Um, let's pretend that um, you had the sad um, instance of always being told you were stupid your whole entire life. Um, as you grow up, no matter what occurs, you're going to filter life through that lens. No matter how people try to encourage you, you're still going to have this idea that you're not smart, right? Or that you're somebody's princess, and so the world's all about you, and that's a filter that we see life through. Um, the Bible lays out certain worldviews, um, and it's important to answer this question that we look at the worldviews. Because the common answer, I think, that we see, and I think we have a slide for this, Chris, um, is people respond, the name of Christ has caused more persecutions. Go back one. More persecutions, wars, and miseries than any other name has caused. You guys heard that before? Right? The church has done more to pull people away from God than Satan ever could do. Right? There's this idea that the effect of the Bible and Christianity on the world has been straight atrocities. And what they do is they point to things like the Crusades, the Inquisitions, witch trials, the recent um, scandals of pedophilia and things like that. Um, and they're absolutely atrocious. But by simply allowing that to be our answer, we forget that there is a possibility that there's human error and frailty that are causing those. And so what we need to do is we need to look at, all right, what does the Bible actually say? Not how do people use that in their flawed ambitions, but what does the Bible actually say? What are its worldviews about life? And what I want to do is look at three main worldviews, and these are coming from everything I'm going to be looking at. Um, it's basically like the history of the Western culture. It's coming, a lot of it, from a book called The Book That Made Your World. And if this piques your interest at all, um, man, read this book. It's a fascinating look at why our culture is what it is. Um, and his, his thesis is that the Bible has created everything positive in Western culture. And I'm just going to show you a few little examples along the way. Um, so the, the three major worldviews of the Bible that we're going to look at, um, all humanity was created with dignity and intrinsic worth. Every single individual, regardless of gender or race, has dignity and intrinsic worth. Humanity was created to think and to reason. And there are specific governing laws and an ultimate law enforcer. In other words, how we live matters. And these might seem very commonplace to you, but you've got to realize that it's because our entire culture has been founded on these worldviews. So I'm going to show you some other cultures to try to shake your view a little bit and make you realize that what we know as reality is very different if you travel to another culture. Okay? And it's hard to realize that because our culture is all we know. 
Um, so let's look at the first one. All humanity was created with dignity and intrinsic worth. Um, a few examples, uh, Genesis one twenty seven. So God created human, humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You guys have all heard this before. Um, very easy to skim over. But the reality of the statement is that we were created in the image of a perfect, all-knowing, beautiful God. And there's a lot of debate about what it means to be in his image. Um, personally, I think that we have the ability to have a soul, something deeper, eternal, that lives beyond the physical realm. Uh, we've also been given the ability to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, the fruits of the Spirit. Um, we also see in Psalms 139, 13 through 18, David writes, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. So this just adds this idea that we are created with this sense of worth and dignity that we're not just a bunch of random cells that happen to come together and, and boom, here we are through billions of years of evolution. But we were specifically created in a very specific way. Um, and if you look at Jesus' ministry, at even slightly, who does he go and hang out with? The downtrodden, the outcasts, the ones that society says are worthless due to their pedigree, due to their race, due to their sex. And he comes in and says, no, no, no. God's kingdom is all-inclusive because all people have this worth. And again, this might seem just commonplace to you. Out of this came three fascinating things, a lot of things. But the wheelbarrow, the water mill, and the flywheel. Yes, a wheelbarrow. How many of you have ever used a wheelbarrow, right? Windmills, not water mills, are not as popular around here, right? And the flywheel. The flywheel is something that can sto store um, like pulses of energy. Think about like pedaling a 10-speed bike. You know, when you got to upgrade from the one speed, right, where your legs had to move and move and move, and if you tried to slow down, right, your legs got caught up in the pedals. But then the 10-speed, you could just glide along, right, because the flywheel would allow it to keep going. Okay, so what the heck does this have anything to do with intrinsic worth? So the wheelbarrow was invented by the Chinese like way before the time of Christ. They used it to move things to the front lines of, of um, battles. But it wasn't used for practical purposes until the 6th century when a monk looked at the sufferings of his fellow human beings and realized that there must be a better way to free them from the labor that is senseless, and that totally ruins the dignity that God has for them. Once, the, once that monk saw this and started utilizing it for the purpose of freeing up his fellow humans in order to have worth, then it started to take off. You know, out of the wheelbarrow comes this idea of modern labor-saving devices. Think about all the technology we have today with all the road construction, everything we do, so that way we don't have to be there and dig and dig and dig and break our backs. Now, you may think that's ridiculous. It would have come about anyway for efficiency. But the interesting thing is, if you look at the technology for the wheelbarrow was there forever, but nobody utilized it 
because they had other people to do it for them. They had lower castes. They had women. They had other races that would just as easily carry all the wood or the rock. And so they didn't need the technology because they saw somebody as less than that could do it for them. The, the windmill, watermill, it like totally revolutionized the Western world. Um, it allowed uh, the process of milling to be done at such an exponential rate. Uh, think about like sawmills use them today, grinding grain, um, all these kind of things. Um, it wasn't until the same time frame that a monk saw the misery of his fellow man when they were having to, to grind grain by hand, and he took what was already in place and used it to alleviate the suffering. Um, the flywheel was invented in the 12th century um, by a guy named Theophilus, theologian, and his reasoning for it was to use human creativity for the glory of God and for the service of the weak. Um, out of the flywheel, I'm not an electrical engineer, but comes pretty much the public electrical systems that we have today operate off the basis of flywheels. I know this is heady. This is not what you normally get on a, a Saturday or a sun, Saturday night or Sunday morning. Um, but there's this notion that because the Bible influenced these individuals' worldview and they realized that everybody had intrinsic value, they used technology to alleviate that. And out of that, we have everything that we know as technology. And you might think, well, it would have happened anyway. Well, it's interesting. You look at the caste system in India. Um, you guys are familiar with the caste system. It's um, you know, based on birth is where you're at from the untouchables all the way up, and you can't get out of that caste system. And there's this like personal hopelessness, and there's a total devaluing of other people's worth. In India, their technological revolution didn't happen until England colonized their country because they had the lower caste to do all their work, so they had no need for technological development. All right, let's look at another um, worldview. Humanity was created to think and to reason. Um, we see this in the creation account. Uh, think about it. What was, what was in the very beginning? God and nothing else. And then in a very structured and ordered way, God created through spoken word everything that we know. It didn't come out of chaos. It didn't come out of accident, but it was a very delineated process in which he produced the earth. Um, Proverbs 8 tells us a little bit more about this account. Wisdom is speaking right now, personified. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first acts of long ago. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginnings of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with the water. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his commands. We see that wisdom, this, this understanding, this deeper knowledge of the way things are, was God's helper in his creation. Then Jesus shows up on the scene, and John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. You got that next one, Chris? And the word was with God, and the word was God. And when you look at the Greek, the, the word for word is logos, which means the divine reason, implication in the cosmos. It's ordering and giving form. It's meaning. It's logic. That's where we get the word logic from, is logos. So we see a God who very logically created the order that we have. You know, and since we were created in that image... We as humanity 
are created to think. We're created to invent and to create. You know, and out of this belief system, out of this importance of rational thought, we were able to develop a cultural norm that supported direct efforts to discovering the deeper truths of the rational world. Think about that. That's science. That's universities. All because we believed that the way that the world was created could be known and understood because it was created by a rational, reasonable being. Uh, according to the, the author of this book, Vishal Mangalwadi, the scientific, technological, military, and economic success of the West came from the fact that it became a thinking nation. Now, you might say, well, of course, why wouldn't we be a thinking nation? Right? That's just who we are. Um, this is a really important uh, contrast to look at with the Hindu and the Buddhist cultures, the mindsets that arose in the East that are still there, they believe that the world came to existence through something called Maya, M-A-Y-A. Um, and you Google it, it's defined the power by which the universe becomes manifest, the illusion or appearance of the physical world. So they believe that everything we see is an illusion. And this is such an important point because we see how the worldviews affects our actions and our belief system. So a 12th century monk did a tour of all these Buddhist um, and Hindu temples. And he said that day and night, you could hear spinning bookcases moving nonstop. Right? So think of a bookcase that's circular, that's full of books, and just spinning nonstop. He said day and night, you could hear that. But what he discovered was they were not spinning day and night because they were absorbing the wisdom that was within those books, but they were spinning day and night because the noise that they made allowed them to go to a void of thought. They believe that since reality is an illusion, then we need to seek silence and the void of nothingness in order to connect with reality. Is, that, is this kind of making sense a little bit more? So instead of using their God-given rationale and wisdom in order to build that and create a rational society that has universities and has a scientific approach, they were simply seeking nothingness because they believed that that was a true reality of the world. All right, last one. I hope I'm not losing you guys. Um, there are specific governing laws and an ultimate law enforcer. Um, let's look at Micah 6.8 to kind of an example. You want to know what God wants of your life? I hear that all the time. What, what should I do? Here it is. God, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, and then we see the author of Chronicles describing God's omnipotence. That he, he's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the entire earth to strengthen those whose heart is true to him. Um, we've, in the Western culture, we've grown up with this understanding that how we live matters because there's an all-knowing, all-powerful God that sees it, right? And our eternity, right, is kind of determined in our limited understanding by how we act, you know? That's what we think anyway. But it's this idea that you can't just go and steal from your neighbor because there's a greater being that sees what you're doing. So it's not like I can get away with this, so I'm going to do it, right? In the back of the Western culture mind, for a long time anyway, it was like, man, I can't do that because there's a, a moral code of what is right or wrong and there's an ultimate enforcer. Um, and out of that comes business ethics, um, comes strong communities, the ability to trust your neighbor because you believe that we're all, we're all governed by this same law code. Um, but enter, um, enter our, our culture and our world today of relativism 
that whatever is true for you is good for you, right? Whatever you see as reality is true. It completely wipes away this idea that there's this larger moral code that we must be governed by. You know, I, I think it'll be several generations before we see the true effect of this. But, you know, if logic serves me correctly, if you don't have like an overall moral code, then I can do whatever I want in that moment because that's what's good for me. And that's a breakdown of ethics. Anybody seen the big short in here about the housing bubble? Right? It was all about getting rich because I'm greedy and I can do whatever I want. Right? That's what caused the entire world economy to crash in 2008 was selfish ambition that wasn't governed by anything bigger. Um, breakdown of just how we interact with one another, the ability to trust one another. All right. Is this kind of making sense at all? I'm, this is like more of like a seminar or anything like that, but it's just it's so crucial because by looking at history, we can see people just like you and I, different cultures, different mindsets, but living life, and we can see over large swaths like the effects, good and bad, of worldview. And the idea is that the biblical worldview, the ones that we're looking at right here that are just commonplace to us, they have shaped everything good about what we consider America. And we don't even know it. We have no clue because we're so far beyond all of the foundations. You know, like a prime example, I, I love history, and so I'll just tell you a quick, you know, take two minutes to go over like 1,200 years of European history, but a prime example of these coming together is the Reformation. You guys have heard of Martin Luther, things like that. Um, so out of the collapse of Rome, the, the Roman Catholicism, Roman Catholic Church rises to power. And the big reason was because they were the only ones that were really educated. Um, and over time, the Pope became seen as the ultimate authority on the things of God. This was compounded because the Bible was written in Latin. Common people didn't speak Latin. They didn't have any access to the Bible whatsoever. And so the Pope and his church grew and grew and grew in power. And with that became corruption. Um, we see that the masses were held in poverty, because the God-ordained ruling, ruling elite kept them there. They, uh, through corruption, said, you know what? If you want your sins to be forgiven, you've got to pay me this amount of money or you've got to do these sort of things for me. You know? And they held them by the most cruel sort of um, um, stranglehold. And out of this power, we see that he used entire nations as his pawn. So he, he, you've heard of the Crusades, right? The church going to take on the Islamic nation and using children and doing all these things. This was the church saying that God told me, the Pope saying, God told me that England, you need to go and fight Islam. France, you need to go and fight Islam. You know, and they were so intent on keeping their power that they instituted the Inquisitions. So Inquisitions, you think about people burned at the stake, and you're right. Um, the Inquisition, whenever they found anybody heretical that didn't agree with the church, they tried them. And if they didn't agree with the church to keep people from speaking out, imprisoned for life, banished, or burned at the stake. That's how intent they were on keeping their corrupt power. You know, and onto this scene comes people like John Wycliffe. You've heard of the Wycliffe Bible translation. Um, Martin Luther or William Tinsdale. And they risked their lives in order to translate the Bible into people's languages. And the reason why they had to risk their lives was because the Pope and the various kings knew that once the Bible got into the hands of the people, that their day was done. You guys seen the book of Eli? It's the exact same concept. That when the people can see what God's word says for themselves, then they realize the, the things that we've been talking about, that they've been created with a, a, 
incalculable amount of worth, no matter who they are, that they have direct access to God, that they don't need to listen to anybody, the king or the pope, because all they have to do is listen to God himself. And out of these translations, Tinsdale was actually burned at the stake for it, but out of his translation, the world was changed. It says, Tinsdale's words shaped the language of Shakespeare, sparked revolutions in England and America, uh, democratized nations, and ushered in a new civilization where right became superior to might. Simply put, the worldviews of the Bible changed what we know from a very demoralized, oppressed culture in Europe to the American dream. What we live and we just relish in all came out of the Bible getting into the hands of the people. That's so powerful. And it's really easy just to kind of overlook that, but we can see in a very tangible way, history tells us that the Bible has the ability to bring freedom and prosperity to nations unlike anything else. You know, and maybe you guys aren't into history like me, so we've got to bring it a little bit more per- personal. Um, the idea of impact is not just on cultures, but on individuals. And I'm curious, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, I wish we could just come up here and one after another, you know, get a chance to talk about it. But honestly, raise your hand if the Bible has had a positive impact on your life. Don't feel like you have to. You know, if, if we had three hours, I would love for people to just come up here and share that. And I think that would be more powerful than anything I've just said. Um, But because we don't have that time, I'm just going to tell you some of the impacts the Bible's had on my life. Uh, Maybe you can relate. Um, So my own history prior to discovering truth um, showed me that I was my own worst enemy um, and that my natural instincts led to heartache. It was pretty simple. I could look at my my past and realize that whenever I followed my natural instincts, they usually led to some sort of hurt, whether within myself or within other people. Um, But then God entered my life in radical ways, and now I look back upon it from that point on. um, The Bible showed me that even though I'm innately flawed, God loves me, and he desires to make me a better person. Um, I've learned that the root of my addiction to drugs was because I was turning to partying for what only God could give me. I learned that money is an illusion and trusting it only brings heartache, that God is my true provider. I've learned in order to have a truly good marriage, I must view my role towards my wife as one of a servant. I've learned that my wife and kids are not in my life to make me happy, but for me to love them well. I've learned in order to be truly satisfied in this life, I must go to the one who created me to find out how I should live. You know, bottom line, I've learned that true contentment comes from pursuing God, period. Now, are these lessons I have to learn over and over? When my three-year-old son is crying for 25 minutes straight about his sucker being taken away, right? Do I have to relearn that my kids are not in my life to make me happy? Of course. But each one of these is at such a pivotal junction in my life that if that lesson wasn't in place and wasn't continually being hammered home by the Bible and the God of the Bible, then it's a catalyst to destroy everything good in my life, every single one of these. But because we, I have the Bible, because I have the God of the Bible speaking to me, I see my life having taken an utterly different turn. And I have a feeling you guys are in the exact same boat. So for me, you got to ask, as an apologetist or anybody just kind of questioning why is the Bible worthwhile, you got to ask, why is this so? 
Why are entire cultures affected for the better because of the biblical worldview? Why are you know, millions and millions of lives totally transformed because of the words we see in the Bible? You know, and the common answer that you hear from skeptics, they uh, usually misquote Karl Marx, but they say, religion is the opium of the masses. You know, and it's possible. I'll give you that. It's possible that entire cultures and millions of people have bought into a lie that our lives are worthwhile and that there's hope beyond the grave in order to just comfort ourselves. Okay? There is, there is a slight chance. But I think you've got to entertain the fact that there's even a better chance that the Bible is the revelation of the character of God and his intentions for his creation. And that by adhering to the creator's plans for our lives and world, we will be able to operate personally and collectively at the highest level. Because the Bible is not God's book written to humanity, necessarily. People say that, but it's more so an account of how God directly entered into the world at specific times to make himself known because he's a God that wants to be known. You know, and there's nothing special about the Bible. There's nothing special about these words that have been preserved forever. The Bible exists because the God that's in it is a God who speaks. It's inevitable. Like, look how he spoke the world into creation. The fact that we have the words we have is awesome. But if we didn't have those words, he'd be speaking to us anyway because he's a God who intensely desires for his creation to know him. And as this perfect, all-knowing God would make himself known, it's inevitable that his character would be splashed all over the world and it would become a little bit more like he intended. Um, if you guys want to come up, you can. I, I um, just kind of want to end with a little bit of, a little bit of an, an exhortation and encouragement. If, um, if you've never... If you've never read through the entire Bible, which I think is like 20% of Christians have read through the Bible, um, man, make this a year to do it. You know, I'm not a big, like, New Year's resolution kind of guy, but we're only two weeks out. There's so many plans that allow you to get through the entire Bible in a year. You know, and if you're not a reader, then you can listen to it. It's, there's an app I found, nine minutes a day will get you through the Bible in a year. Nine minutes. And if the Bible really has had the impact on so much, then maybe it's worth just taking a chance and saying, you know what, I'm going to read through the entire Bible this year and see what happens. You know, if you've already done that, read the Bible every day, every day. Not just once a week, not just when you feel like it, but commit to the fact that if this is the instruction from my creator to my life, then I'm going to really make it a priority. And like I said, the Bible itself is not special. What the Bible does is it teaches us who God is and then allows us to listen to the way he speaks into our individual existence. That's what makes it so powerful. Once we start to realize who the God of the Bible is, then we realize that he is constantly speaking into the here and now, trying to teach it just a little bit better way to live. And that's... That's a beauty, in my opinion, that's totally unrivaled. Yeah. It's good for me.